Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is just a reminder that everything on the podcast is intended to be informational, educational, and entertaining. This is no way a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic process. If you find yourself in need of more direct support, please reach out for professional help. Or if you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or call 911. everyone it's LaShonda from labors of love and you are listening to the labors of love podcast today i have a very special guest with me he is the host of the boss locks podcast and the working while black facebook community i have walter gainer the second hi walt how are you i'm doing good thank you very much for having me i'm like for real excited Um, i am excited too yeah well i'm so glad that you could join me and i'm gonna start with you, like I do all of my guests, and ask, what is your labor of love? My labor of love. I think it's a really cool question, because, like, I remember when thinking about preparing for this, I was like, okay, you know, I do a lot of things, but I don't really love all of them, but mm-hmm. I think that one thing that I do enjoy, and it's something I've enjoyed throughout my life, is just helping people reach a new growth, and um, I think for most of my life, I've done that by helping people from a kind of a marketing and creative um, approach to help them, whether it's their kind of their personal life, something they want to start up, or a real business, just helping them move forward in a new direction, or just closer to their goals through marketing, um, project management. These days, just in Shopify every day, so a lot of different things. But um, I think lately, also really like helping people kind of feel empowered to move closer, whether that's entrepreneur wise or career wise, or just feeling more comfortable with themselves. That's awesome. So really just being a person that's connected to other people who are striving for something. And if they're striving for something, it sounds like you derive pleasure and have a passion for helping them achieve that something. Sound accurate? Very accurate. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, everyone to win. We at that finish line. I'll yeah, celebrate. Yeah, I like that. Um, so before I go my regular route, I do have to say, you mentioned, did you say Shopify? Yes. What is that? Oh, yeah. You know, what's so interesting. So, it, of course, to me, Shopify is obvious, but then I speak to people like, huh? But so when you're like shopping online, like on Amazon or eBay, something like that, that's a e-commerce marketplace. You know, you go there, you see all these different businesses, they got everything kind of go crazy. But if you go to a brand, you just see their website and they have a shopping cart. Um, basically, if they have a personal website and you could buy something from it, it's called like having a shopping cart on it. And Shopify is one of the most powerful shopping cart tool so you'll probably never necessarily see the word shopify on a site but if they could if you could buy something they have a shopping cart they might be using shopify interesting okay (laughs) because i'm like i got a website i got a cart but okay (laughs) and so how how was what is your involvement with um it, it really varies. Like right now I'm helping someone transition from one shopping cart to another, which sounds simple, but it gets complex when it's like thousands of products. Um, but it goes anywhere from just helping people get set up, adding products online to their site, making it available to purchase, to adding little bells and whistles here and there to kind of make it flow smoothly. But basically just kind of being like the eagle eye looking over their website, making sure everything's working, products are there, it looks good, customers are happy, everyone's happy, so. Nice. And let me tell you one thing I have definitely learned. 
nothing is simple. (laughs) (laughs) When people, I get, they say that to me, especially as a therapist, people go, this may sound, and I just stop them and say, whatever you think I'm thinking, I'm not, (laughs) trust me. So nope, that didn't sound simple at all. That actually sounded like a headache. And I'm glad that people (laughs) have you in their lives to do those simple things, right? Because as an entrepreneur um, who has, I would say, several different lanes of what I do, nothing is simple, nothing is easy. And there are so many nuances to every single thing that it is very hard to um, even think that you can do things all by yourself. So right. when we talked about the finish line and we're coming together, I definitely um, have come to understand that so much more since my entrepreneurial journey. And so I, I appreciate you you saying that. Yeah. So take us back. You said, you know, for a lot of your life, I'm assuming like this has kind of been that labor of love that's pushed you. How do I help people achieve whatever it is they're seeking where do you think that's rooted for you where did that start Hmm. good question i'm gonna just shout out my mom i'm gonna say it came from her maybe (laughs) (laughs) um i think that i've always just enjoyed helping people i know um so when i was in high school i there are a lot of different things i was interested in doing like one i was considering being an architect um, which I got the shadow architect for like five days and I realized that's not what I want to do at all. Mm. Um, but <laughs> it was still pretty cool. But I think that I grew up around a lot of entrepreneurs, um, not any like Mark Cubans or anything like that, but just people who are really kind of creating a life for themselves. And one thing that I saw some people kind of struggling with was marketing. And I always just thought like, man, you're doing all these other things, but you don't necessarily know how to kind of market and promote yourself. So it was just kind of like a natural calling to start going into that lane just as a way to help people out. Um, I think other than that, maybe, so I play soccer as well for most of my life. And in soccer, you know, it's a sport where there's obviously singular players that make a big difference. But at the end of the day, if you have one player that's amazing and another player that's just trash, like it's, it's going to balance itself out. So like really every single person on that team needs to be playing on the same level or at least communicate and be able to help each other kind of step up when the other player needs help. So I think maybe just playing soccer on that team, um, it's just really, you, you just naturally become someone who wants to support people around you. Thank you. That, that's, that's very um, intriguing to me because I can honestly say I don't follow soccer, right? <laughs> uh, I don't. I, you know, I just don't. However, um, within the last two weeks, I watched a soccer game. Oh, really? I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> it was on <laughs> and it's like, why not, right? So I'm watching this soccer game and as I'm, as I'm watching it, it's, it's so intriguing to me of how different soccer is than football, for example, American football, um, or even basketball in the sense of how much the team is needed for something to happen. So they're all team sports. Don't get me wrong. And being from Cincinnati and watching a Bengals game, you realize how much a team is realized when two quarterbacks get hurt because the offensive line is just hot garbage, but that's the whole thing. And I'm not even a Bengals fan. It was just painful to watch. So, (laughs) you know, there are repercussions for people not doing their jobs, but it was just something so intriguing, intriguing about the spread out nature 
of the the players in soccer and and just how the ball moved and and just all of these different things that I was like, I feel like there's something in here. Like, I feel like there is a lesson, even a spiritual lesson for me <laughs> that I need to sit down with like a soccer game and just say, what, what is this game trying to tell me? So I can totally see as a non-soccer watcher um, how that could have influenced you. Um, you mentioned something just in passing, but I think it's so huge. You got to shadow an architect. Oh, yeah. And I think that is a characteristic globally, like universally kind of, but I'm going to go ahead and hone in on the Black community. I think that is an aspect of the Black community that I see so infrequently, but it is so powerful. How do we allow people to actually shadow a person, a job, you know, a community, anything, so they can really get the feel of it, right? Because you wanted to be an architect. Because what an architect did was what you made up in your mind, in your brain, the story you created in this this fantasy, really. Then you spent a week with someone and you're like, oh, that's cool. Not what I want, not what I want to do. And I think that so many young people particularly are kind of given this responsibility of go be successful. Go be successful. Go, you know, go be successful. The, the question I hate the most, almost one of the questions I hate the most in the world is, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's like, mm-hmm. How you make money is not who you are. Now, for me, it is. But for everybody, <laughs> it's not. And what are you really asking? Are you asking the person what they want to do for a profession? Are you asking them how they want to make money? Or do you want asking them the character that they want to be? But we say, you know, go do that. And I love, because for me, this is all coming together for you of like, I want everyone to be at the finish line. I want to help guide people to this place and that for me seems like a really early experience that you may or may not feel is directly connected but you got to kind of see something firsthand that then led you down a path it was what you didn't want to do but what you don't want to do is almost as knowing that is as important as knowing what you do want to do so if if at all can you elaborate on how that experience may have influenced some of the work you're doing now oh yeah and I uh, 1000 times agree with everything you just said. I think, um, I think we're, and that's a really good point to asking, like, what do you want to do? It's like, we only know of so many things that exist. Like I think about that show, Dirty Jobs, and they just went in and let's talk to all these different people from all of these like jobs you never even knew existed mm-hmm. until they featured. And I think that's something that is missing because we don't always see the different career paths that we could take. Cause really like you can make money doing almost anything. So and I think that when you do find a thing that you really love, it's like not even about making money. You get up ready to do it. So um, I think for me, that experiencing shadowing someone, it came from my mom has started a school. Um, she had it for like 12 years, I think. And um, one of the parents was an architect. And I don't necessarily remember. I think actually when I was younger, there was some like math project. We were supposed to take graph paper and calculate uh, the size of our room and design the room and everything like that. And I just really enjoyed doing that kind of designing rooms and stuff. And I think when I found out that my mom told me that one of the parents was an architect and he was a close family friend and all that stuff. So it's just like a real easy thing for me to just go, go to work with him um, for a few days that week. And it was such an easy thing to do because he went about his day. He just had me tag along and everything. I was just watching, taking notes. Matter of fact, he even brought me into an interview 
And at the end, he's like, Walter, do you have any questions for him? And I was like, what? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that um, that experience made a huge difference because it really allowed me to really think about, okay, that's not what I want to do. Let me just keep discovering and trying new things. Always knew that I could try something out and it's not working then I can move on to something else. Like I wanted to be a graphic designer for a second and I took a class and I realized, yeah, that, no, that's (laughs) not me either. And I realized that marketing really had like a lot of different aspects to it. And there's a lot of different lanes in that as well. So like when I was in college, I already knew exactly what I wanted to pursue. A couple of my friends of mine, they, um, they had switched majors a couple of different times because they were in that discovery a little later on, which I think is kind of the normal standard for a lot of people. But I was really fortunate to be able to shadow that architect and test all these other things out to see, like, okay, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. This is kind of my, more of my path. And yeah, it's, it's, I think um, the earlier you could just shadow and follow someone around, the better. And I think that sometimes another thing that maybe... Um, I know this with like internships, for example, a lot of business owners, they kind of worry about having to train someone or that person being distracting. But really, when it comes to shadowing, it doesn't necessarily take any additional time out of your day. So I think that that's something I would definitely encourage a lot of people to do is just like reach out to the youth and be like, yo, just come follow me for an afternoon or something. Even if you don't have anything planned, I think just watching someone go about their day there's so many things you could pick up on that will never be verbally communicated. Just how someone walks, how someone conducts an interview, how someone um, works with a team, just little things, the, the, how, <laughs> how you decide who gets the coffee or something. Like All these little things really help build a picture and idea for how things operate. So That was so good. Have all these things that were coming up. I die. Yes, I love that. One shout out to your mom. I think that is awesome um, that, you know, she taught you networking early on, even if there was not a real name, she might not have said that you may not have thought of it as that, but that's what it was, right? Oh, this is an interest here. Let me connect you with someone who does that. And, you know, those things can plant these seeds. And I love that. I love that you were able to go and shadow. And like you said, like, Sometimes people get all like, oh, even when they have the, I don't know if this is a, a national thing, but like take your child to work day. Um, people get all, well, what are we going to do? And what are we going to set up? Just be normal. <laughs> Just do what you always do. Because sometimes what they do is they set up these experiences for people, but that doesn't help them understand how the everyday goes. So this experience was awesome. And that person is like, this is what I want to do. And then you get there and you realize you start at the bottom of that ladder. You're like, this is not that experience (laughs) I had. Wait a minute. Then you start second guessing. But if they actually get to see it as it is, I think people can form these opinions. When you talked about all of the different things that you've tried out, I think that's so amazing for a few reasons. One, there's this tendency with parent-child relationships often Um, but really just adult child relationships where someone decides they want to try something and then people go into, well, you better stick it out and you better keep doing that. The more money and, and time and effort they put into that child trying something, the more the adult gets fixated on its continuation and they make children stay. Now I'm, you know, people, I don't want to say debate, but people want to have healthy conversations with me about, well, once you start something, you, you need to finish it. And I hear that. But I also say, 
it's the sampler platter. You, if you take every experience into, if every person goes into an experience like it's the entree, of course there's a level of commitment you're going to expect. But if you treated it like the appetizer, then maybe you will be able to let go of outcome that this five-year-old doesn't want to go, you know, and play soccer in college, right? We project that far out as adults, but sometimes the kid is just like, yeah, I like it today. I don't like it tomorrow. And that's part of maturation. And I think so many young people, I know this is true for me, born and raised in Detroit, where the only options, even through high school for me, was um, football, basketball, cheerleading, track. I think we had a baseball team. So softball, you know, like there was just a poverty of experience that I had that I didn't even know some things existed. And so I love how you used, you know, odd jobs as this, that show as a way of like, what exists in ways that, you know, people aren't aware of. And when we only highlight certain professions, what it does is it, it, (laughs) those are, you know, there's only how many people get into the whatever, the NBA, they're right. only, so, you know, how many lawyers do you need? It's a very saturated field at some point. But what's fascinating is all the nuanced things that get done on a daily basis that people will pay for. So like I said, I pay someone to cook for me throughout the week. I don't pay for this, but I would. I don't like shopping. So I would pay someone to shop for me, right? I would pay people to do things that I don't have time or desire to do. But when we don't teach young people to say, let's stop the question of what, what do you want to do for a profession when you're 12 and you have no idea how the world actually works and let's put money aside. Where's your passion? What are you Mm -hmm. good at? What, what do you, what do you like to do? What are you really good at? How do we help you hone that? Then you can teach somebody how to make money at it. I literally say all the time, I wake up, I be me and I get paid. That was never an option growing up. No one told me it was possible. So I still do that proverbial pinch every now and again and be like, wow, this is my life. Like I just get to show up and be me. And people are paying me money to do that. Imagine if so many of our youth were taught that early on to hone their true gifts, their passions and things like that. And then we have people help them monetize it. So yeah, that, that is, that is a thing for me, but I love that you were able to do the whole trial and error and figure it out by the time you got to college. Cause I definitely fell on the other side. Like I didn't know, but what made me different than some of my peers was I also didn't feel like I had to declare a major mm. just because. So I remained undecided until I had to declare And by the time it was time to declare, I realized none of these things really fit me. So they had, um, I'm technically a Bachelor of General Studies. So I got to kind of form my my degree. I have concentrations in psychology and theater, but I also took some off the wall classes like Mesopotamian myths and literature and, and all these other things because I have a wide range of interests. And I loved it and I felt really bad kind of for some people who felt so narrowly focused that they're in this major because you got to pick one and then they're taking all these classes they hate which I'm like I mean I didn't like all my classes but at least they were interesting and I got to pick them (laughs) they weren't picked for me and that for me fits who I am but that is the traditional route often of like go in and 
declare something and then when you don't like it, change it and all the headaches that come with it. So I can appreciate how different the, you representing how different that journey can be. And even me representing how different it can yeah, be. Yeah, your journey is pretty cool. That's, that's pretty awesome. Like, I did not know that you could um, do general studies because I think um, even, so even though I entered into college kind of knowing what I wanted to study, like I ended up taking a psychology class and that class I think stuck with me more than well, I won't say more because there could be some, some conscious things, but that psychology class really stood out to me. And I still use that, the lessons I learned there and everything I do um, throughout life. So I think it is almost limiting to just stick with, I mean, of course, if you're trying to be a doctor, please stick with that because I don't need you messing up. But uh, everything else, like it, I think it's really good to just have as many experiences as you can. Uh, so that's really cool. You're able to do that. I feel like we should definitely encourage more people to be okay with being undecided because there are a lot of lessons you can learn outside of the classroom in college. And um, yeah, you, you said so many things that were so cool. Like, and I think um, that that appetizer analogy was really cool. It made me think of Leonardo da Vinci. Um, he's someone I studied in college or no um, early in education. So I was always fascinated by him. And later on, I learned that he, like he's known for inventing so many different things. Like he, um, put together an early form of the alarm clock, helicopter, bicycles, of course, the Mona Lisa. But I think one thing that people don't always speak about is he has like hundreds of projects that he started and did not finish. Mm. I think that was so cool because we always put this pressure on ourselves. So kind of like you mentioned with like parents with kids, like you got to start it and finish it, go all the way through. But I think it's okay to step away if it's not working out. Cause like, we can't all be LeBron James. Like we could all put in that 10,000 hours and probably should if we want that, but we don't have to, be that. I, no, that, that really cool. I think that's fascinating too uh, because the cultural and societal view of stepping away from something is failure and it's why people are chronic overstayers. I, mm. I raise my hand. <laughs> I have traditionally been a chronic overstayer whether it's at a job whether it's in a relationship because I, I didn't want you know whether it was the guilt of leaving or didn't want to seem like a failure um, I work with a lot of very high functioning business people and this, this line between here is what I want and need for my life, but here is the pressure to continue doing things that way I have been is a very common theme. And so even with my general studies degree, interestingly, I was working at a job and um, in community mental health, and there was an opportunity for a promotion. And back in those days, there were very few opportunities to take you from like direct care service, working directly with the, the youth that I was working with to like some position. It's, it's different now, but um, this avenue was for a group leader, group therapy leader. And they refused to give me the job because of my degree. Because they were like, you know, it either needed to be whatever, psychology or this or that. And I remember one of the directors uh, looking into the degree. And I remember her coming back to me and was like, you know, HR is really looking at this like it doesn't give you a focus. Your degree requirements were more restrictive, though, because it wasn't within a major. I'm like, absolutely. So it wasn't like it was just like, oh, go do what you want. They're, the requirements were a little more rigid because I wasn't set inside of a psychology major or whatever. And so I think, yes, two things need to happen. I definitely think we need to help encourage youth to be exploratory and do these things, but we really have to help change the lens societally and culturally at how we look at success. 
And mm -hmm. we're oftentimes looking for that piece of paper, albeit well-earned and expensive, but there are people who have been doing things on the ground running who have more expertise, experience, and practical application than someone with a degree in some instances, and they get overlooked. And, and so it's, it's, it would be awesome if we could just kind of look at, look at people for people. I know, wild concept, right? Whoa. What? You know, what is she talking about? <laughs> but if we could actually look at people for people and, and who they, uh, what they contribute based on so many of those experiences, um, because sometimes you got a person who will never set foot in a traditional university setting, but the amount of trauma they've overcome, how they've learned to navigate the world and their experiences and still show up, you can't put a piece of paper on that, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think that is, that, that is huge, but I love that. So what I'm interested in, how is all of this showing up today? Tell us about, you know, how your, your passion to kind of guide or Sherpa or be with people to be the, the best they can be for themselves, their businesses and things besides uh, Shopify, which thank you for clarifying. <laughs> how does that show up today? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, so my show Boss Locks, it's a number of different things, but it really did come from everything that we just mentioned, as well as a lot of the kind of insecurities that I felt um, entering into the workplace. Um, so I have, for those listening, you know, I have locks and they're pretty long down to my back. And I've had them since I was like in seventh grade. And um, for most of my life, you know, people have always complimented them. But as I started to get ready to graduate from college, I started having more conversations with people about I'll probably need to cut them if I want to be able to enter the workforce and really thrive. And um, I, I knew that they were kind of speaking um, – based on a lot of the perceptions towards locks um, and that a lot of people would kind of dismiss them or deny me. But at the same time, I really felt strongly about keeping them. Like I knew for sure I was not going to keep them, but I didn't know how I was really going to enter into the workplace. So I literally started asking questions um, from people that I knew because uh, I did a Google search and I found nothing at all about professionalism. You know, everyone's looking for a top 10 interview tips. I was looking it up, but also for people with locks, top 10 interview tips for black people and natural hair. And I found nothing at all. So I literally asked, started speaking to like the three people I knew. Um, one was an entrepreneur, so he really went about his life how he wanted. Another was in banking, but she always kept her hair wrapped and didn't even go by her first name um, because, you know, a lot of people discriminate based on people's names. And the other person I asked was a employee and she was used her first name, had her hair out. She was living her best life. So I started to just talk to more and more people just to learn how I could navigate certain environments. And it was my dad and a few other people really encouraged me to do something with it. So I didn't really want to do because like being at the, the face of something was kind of nervous to me. But um, I just started to capture more conversations and talk to people about how they're showing up with their natural hair. And that really turned into all of these other conversations about just showing up their true selves, their authentic self, living their best life, being happy, and really just unlearning a lot of the negative things that keep us back. And now it's evolving into a show where I'm <clears throat> speaking to Black leaders and CEOs just to learn about their personal journey, their natural hair journey, and their experiences working while Black. Because I think that there are a lot of things that we tell ourselves and that other people tell us that keep us back that 
um, end up to leading to self-esteem issues and it's just not showing up our best way, not really pursuing our labor of love, for example, because we're afraid of this or that. And I think, um, you know, one thing we mentioned earlier about just, um, I, I think a lot of people kind of disrespect job choices. Like you mentioned you pay so well, you would pay someone to help you like shop or something like that. And that could fall in line with a personal assistant. I remember when you said that, I was thinking of uh, Lena Waithe. She started out as a personal assistant for someone and now she's directing or writing movies, like big time movies for all these different major people. So um, part of what I'm doing is helping people learn how to navigate different environments to pursue what they want to do. Another way thing I'm doing is helping people just um, step further into their natural hair journey and take that step. And then also um, um, showing all these different career choices, because I think it's really important for us to stop dis, um, disrespecting people's job choices and just under this whole scope of what success should look like. And um, lastly is redefining professionalism, because I think that there are a lot of things in work from management all the way down to like the interviews on both sides that we were operating under this false idea of what professionalism looks like and should be. So trying to change that all so we could all just be out here um, being regular people. And everything, yeah, so. That's awesome. Thank you. You know, redefining what things look like, I think is a lot of what I do. And I never put those words with it. Um, because so much of professionalism, it's almost code word for Eurocentric values and whiteness in this country. Mm-hmm. And so I do remember having a conversation back in college, um, which I went to a PWI, predominantly white institution. I went to the University of Michigan and uh, having a conversation with other black students Um, At this point, I took a linguistics class. So we're talking Ebonics, we're talking about hair, we're talking about all these things and and what deserves to be in the, in the, you know, workforce, if you will, and just the different camps that I I saw, you know, the people who are like, look, if you want to be successful, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to look, this is how you need to talk you know, other people who were kind of like, forget that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be all out here. I'm gonna be my full self. And, and then people who are somewhere in between, you know, those things, I'm gonna be myself on the weekend, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. but when I go in there and, and just highlighting, and this is conversations I tried to have, particularly for, um, white people, people who are non-black, who genuinely want to engage in these conversations, waking up and getting ready for the day is not the same for everybody. The decisions a person has to navigate to get from point A, their bed, to point D, their office, it's not the same trajectory for every person. You know, I think about women going into a male dominated field and how an emphasis on what you're going to wear. Like, how you look professional. If you have a curvy body, how are you going to buy clothes that de-accentuate your literal natural body, the colors you wear, and, and then hair? How am I going to wear my hair? These are conscious decisions that some people, namely Black women, women of color, have to navigate from the moment they're buying their clothes to putting them on. Whereas you know, some people can just put on the out the good old suit or whatever it is and, and go in. And I think that's worth talking about. Um, 
to, to figure that out. I also just think about my own natural hair. So, you know, I am crocheted up right now. So, you know, shaved on the sides, but when I, um, I, I love short hair. And what I've determined is why not? If I want hair, I'll just buy it because I love my short hair. So I don't necessarily foresee growing it back. Um, I appreciate the freedom. I appreciate the convenience and all of that. But what I didn't realize once I started wearing my hair natural and I've gone through a variety of colors, I would go to trainings and I would be doing trainings and just the nature of the work I do and where I train, it's mostly white women social service fields is, you know, is a lot of women. Um, and there will be some black women in the audience, occasionally a man or so. And how almost consistently I could count on one of those black women in the audience is coming up to me and saying, I like your hair. What I realized over time is it wasn't just an aesthetic. Like I like the way your hair looks. I realized that what they were actually trying to communicate to me is I like that you had the courage to stand up there and be you. You know, me, I, I'm a jean jacket person, right? <laughs> so I'll have on some slacks, maybe some boots, you know, or I reverse it. I'm gonna put on a blazer, but I'm gonna have on jean. It's just, it's, it's my, it's what I'm comfortable with. But I realized that every time I stood up in front of a group of people, I represented a black big bodied woman with natural hair who used her humor, who would forget words in the middle of her presentation and be like, oh my goodness, what was I going to say? Just a real authentic person. I was never trying to feign perfection. And that I think is what gives people hope no matter what race they were, no matter what gender they were. It was just like, wow, there's a real person in front of me. And we don't get that very often. I think people spend a lot of time trying to be perfect in their presentation to the world. And the challenge is that ain't real, you know? And so it's hard for people to relate to it. People might try to emulate it, but I think I'm very relatable because I just, this is what it is. And, and I, I, I attribute a lot of that to natural hair, you know, and all of those different things. And so I appreciate that you have been able to create an entire platform for people to say, how can I show up authentically and how can I connect with other people who are doing that? What are the tips? So community is huge. Can you tell us about how the work you're doing has forged said community? Yeah, I think that um, it, it's kind of done a couple of different things and each one has been kind of a surprise to me. Cause like I said, this really just started for me to really understand how I can navigate. But um, one thing that it has resulted in is these conversations just about unlearning kind of the negative things that we tell ourselves and that we hear from other people. And oftentimes they come from our own community. So I know that just um, in our community, I've heard more people just talking about their experiences, um, just hearing different things that they've heard from their parents, their friends or colleagues at work. A lot of things you just mentioned, I've heard from other people as well. It's um very real but I know like one thing an example one small thing is in regards to the lock journey but it goes regards everything else as well but when our hair grows it doesn't grow into locks it just grows as our natural hair and we call it new growth and a lot of times we try to hide that um, but one common message that I'm pushing out there is really to just really love and appreciate that new growth so one thing I do 
now is just not immediately rushed to go twist my hair or to lock it again. I'm letting this grow out so we could see it, all the little imperfections here and there. And I think it's important because it also translates to just our personal journeys, our career journeys, and the idea of perfection. Like when things start out and when they're growing, it doesn't even look perfect. It's it's it looks messy sometimes, looks a little unkept and all this stuff, but it's all beautiful and it's all good because it kind of gets you to where you need to be. It gets you to that, in my instance with hair, that long lock, but at first it doesn't start off that way. So I think one thing our community has highlighted that is the journey it takes to get to where you want to be. Um, another kind of group that's come from it that wasn't expected is this um, Working Wall Black group. It's a Facebook group that I started for black people in all different professional environments. Basically, if you're black and um, you could join this group, but it's a place for people to come together to learn, connect, and grow. Because I think it's really, really important for us all to share the experiences that we have with each other. Because I mean, just being a black business owner and employee, there's obviously racism that we experience, but there are a lot of subtle things, little things that sometimes we think of as in, insignificant. Like something you mentioned earlier, like if you're a curvy woman and someone's like talking about what you can and can't wear, like that's actually ridiculous. And you should be able to wear whatever you want because that doesn't impede on what you're able to do. So um, basically this group where we can share without um, being interrupted by other cultures, the things that we experience so that other people are met with those. We already know what it's like. We know we're not alone. And we also have heard from other people and how they went through it and got through it so we could be a bit more proactive. So building communities to help people reach that new growth and be proactive and be prepared for instances, both negative and positive too, because I think there's a lot of greatness and I feel as though we can really achieve what we want um, just with our own community. And lastly, one point with that group is a place for us to really come together and talk so that we are out in the world. We are already ready to share and communicate. Like, um, So like that group is exclusively for Black people, but I do want to point out that I think it's important for us all to be on the same page. So um, it's the, my show does have an audience that goes across cultures, but um, that group is specifically for Black people because we just need to talk amongst ourselves about some things. So, yes. Yeah. So, as soon as you you said it earlier in the show, and it like peaked for me, but then you mentioned it again, and it's new growth. And as soon as you said it, I was taken back in my imagery to a young child. You know, I've shared this before. I did a podcast with my hairstylist, and we talked all about hair. And I started getting my hair relaxed at five years old. Mm. Five. Crazy. And I remind people, I'm a little older. So this, there was no, no lie, you know, um, just for kids. Nah, this was the heavy duty <laughs> Revlon they put in everybody else's hair. Right. And, and so that, that was it. And I spoke about how not, it wasn't intentional, but it did send a message. How my hair grows out of my head is not okay. And it reminded me of how over whatever period of time, five, six weeks, I've, it, since I've gotten a relaxer and I start to get the new growth and how that was automatically symbolic of it's time to, it's time to get a touch up, right? Like as soon as how my hair naturally showed up, began to be visible, to others, it was time to morph what that looked like. That sends a message. It sends a huge message, you know, that we got to cover up. So I love, love, love that part of what you're doing and part of this community is embracing the new growth. 
Because when we think about it, it's fantastic. It shows like, look at this new growth. Don't we all want to grow? I mean, we say that until we start recognizing that that growth is not neat. It's not clean. It's not perfection. It, it's this thing. But if we can learn to embrace how we grow, like, I think that's huge um, across the span. And then also when you were talking, you know, it kind of struck me as I think so much of what we're talking about, um, showing up with our natural hair, our locks, what we wear, it's a matter of distraction. When the dominant culture gets distracted, that's when the narratives begin to come about how it's unacceptable or unprofessional. When it's like, it's not our fault, you're distracted. (laughs) And you're distracted because it's different, often different and unachievable. And I think there's something there, right? You're distracted by its difference you're annoyed that you can't achieve it. But when you're the dominant, you know, when you get to form the dominant narrative, you can call that other thing, whatever you want. And it's a way of othering that gets so frustrating and probably for a whole different conversation, but how we as black people internalize those messages. So we have our own internalized racism. That means we not only live it out in our bodies, but then perpetuate the same thing onto, you know, our children and those we're with. You know, I I know that it was internalized racism that caused my mother to get my hair relaxed at five years old. She didn't recognize that. And I appreciate probably this subconscious drive of I don't want my child to get grief because of her hair or, you know, I don't want this to happen. And, 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 but it's a narrative that she had internalized that that is what is acceptable. Straight you know, things like that. And and the compliments I would get straight out of a perm of how straight my hair was. It was a thing. They say it's bone straight. I still don't even understand (laughs) the (laughs) reference to that, but the bone straight hair, right? And it's just like, wow, it's so, you know, when that's the diet you're fed, that's what's in you and unlearning. So a major component of your work in your community is the unlearning, which I think is huge. We have to unlearn so many of the things that we have learned before we can make space for the things that we're trying to learn going forward. So that is super fascinating. Thank you. Yeah. Where do you see it going? So we know kind of where Walt's passion and labors of love were rooted and kind of how they were developed. And this is what you're doing now. Do you have any future aspirations or is there a world that you're envisioning that keeps you chugging down this path to help achieve that? Yes. Um, some of these aspirations keep me up at night because I think of so many. I think that there are so many directions that I can go. But um, one thing I've, I think that this year has taught me is the importance, and I guess it's the same lesson over and over, but the importance of not going about it your own or necessarily reinventing the wheel. Because I've noticed there are a lot of people who really are doing the work. And I think that just as things progress, we're just able to see all these different things that are happening, like from all different aspects, from like Diddy launching the Black Party, which is just a party for people to come together to learn about politics and have a voice to just all these little things, Um, things like your show, like these are all very impactful things. And I think that the main thing I want to do is just bring everyone together. Um, And 
I think another thing I keep in mind is that the things we're doing now may not make a difference tomorrow or even in our lifetime, but like two generations from now, I want them to grow up and be <laughs> like, <laughs> one thing I think about all the time is just having an average black person be in a place of power. Cause I think that's something that we always like, we have to be perfect to really make it right now. But I really want there be, to be a world where just a subpar person who's black is really succeeding um, because they're putting in just like a little amount of work, but I, I just I want that just the things to be in place so that they can go about their lives without any unnecessary interruptions like racism, discrimination, being called distracting, unprofessional, all these things, or thinking in their head that they have to show up and like however people perceive them is going to be a representation for the rest of their race. Because that's something that I was told growing up, like, you know, everyone's watching, you know, like I've, I've actually been like the first black person that a lot of people have interacted with. So like they're, like they're going to form their opinions based off of me. So I just want that to be the world that people live in. And um, as far as like some immediate aspirations, um, I definitely want to continue growing the show. Um, I really want to encourage people um, to get into really manufacturing things as well. It's really on this, um, not just, popping up with the t-shirt shop online, but actually like creating that shirt or just creating pencils, all these different things that are needed. These quote unquote simple things that people need to um, reach their new growth. So really want to encourage people to continue living about their best lives, put um, procedures and methods in place for people to take advantage of things that they love to do and um, continue to empower people and help that process of unlearning. So um, that's for the podcast, the Working Well Black group, and I'm hoping next year or after COVID to be able to start putting together some tours, some like Working Well Black tours. So Nice. Well, I can support all of that. And I, you know, I'm so glad we've got connected and I can be part of that. You know, one of the main things that I really heard coming out of your aspirations in my words um, is really for how about just an open opportunity for black people to be authentically themselves and have be able to have positions of authority and power based on who they are not their proximity to whiteness because that's generally how it is now a person who can assimilate very well into whiteness not as a race but as an idea have greater access to these positions of power and authority because they are perpetuating the same ideas, right? Mm -hmm. As this whiteness, but can people, whoever they are, show up in a space being authentically them. And we have us, we have this space where people can lead based on leadership, not right. just this perpetuation of ideas. And I, you know, in so many ways, that is an aspiration of mine too. So I'm, I'm glad we're working, we're working, you know, to do those things um, in our own way. That's fantastic. And yeah, this is good. I'm so excited. This was a really great conversation. If someone heard something, they're intrigued, or they just want to reach out to you, learn more about your community or about Boss Locks, how can people find you or reach out to you? Yes, um, I like to be anywhere that you may be just to make things convenient for you. So if you search Boss Locks, which is B-O-S-S-L-O-C-K-S, two words, you'll find me basically everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. I think Pinterest too, but I'm not as active there. But um, you could also just simply go to bosslocks.org, which is my site. 
where you can see everything that we're doing, even leave like a voice message, just add to that feature in and may or may not appear on the podcast, but I definitely will respond to you. Um, and also DMs are open, you know, I'm, I like to meet new people just to, um, just to learn about what you have, answer any questions you have, and just really invite you to be a part of the community, because I think that it's important that we're all going through together. So um, yeah, Boss Locks, B-O-S-S-L-O-C-K-S, and you can find me everywhere. Awesome. Well, obviously have all of that in the show notes. Pinterest gives me anxiety. Just a side note. I've tried it like three <laughs> different times and I just can't seem to get into it, but that is awesome. Mm-hmm. And oh, so, and oh yeah. One other thing, actually, um, I want to sh- specifically point out LinkedIn because I think it's really important for us to be more active there. Um, because there's a lot of different features to just grow career wise. So definitely look me up on LinkedIn, just Walter Gaynor the second too. And I'll make sure I send that link to you because I don't think I did before. Okay, absolutely. We'll put that on there. Definitely. LinkedIn is an interesting place. It's mm-hmm. a it's an intersection of so many worlds that I think would benefit from our presence. Um, so I'll take that as a personal challenge. I need to be more active on LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I want to kind of round us out the way I do with all of my guests, which is just asking for you to share a fun, interesting, or little known fact about yourself. I don't know why, but the first thing that popped in my mind that I don't think really anyone knows unless they went to college with me is I I used to have a show in school called Toilet Talk. It was a Snapchat show. <laughs> and it just took place in the bathrooms. Like it was nothing like crazy or anything like that, but just interview people in the bathrooms. That's probably one of the first places I started interviewing people. It's just like a fun, quirky thing that I just started doing it, like get togethers and stuff. Um, that, and I went to China in college for a month, which is really cool. Nice. Yeah. You had me at Toilet Talks. <laughs> is that what you called it? Toilet Talk, yeah. Toilet Talk. You Premiered know, on Snapchat back in the day. <laughs> that. It, that is a very interesting fact. And China, how awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Well, well, I really appreciate you for taking the time out to be a guest. I know my listeners have benefited from hearing your voice and all the contributions that you're making. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all the listeners. Thank you for uh, listening to my journey. Absolutely. So I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast, to my producer, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media. Of course, to you, all of my guests. I do not take it for granted. If you want to reach out to me, you have suggestions for content or guests, find me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets. Don't forget our YouTube channel, where every Thursday we put out our Therapy Thursday videos. And don't forget to give us that five-star rating give us a review and share the podcast with your friends until we connect again you all be well